0: Good morning. Uh, before, I, before we get to the sermon, I want to um, say a few words um, to you. Um, most of you, I hope, by now have uh, received an, an email letter that I sent to the congregation this past week, um, letting you know that my, I've decided to bring my tenure here at Montview uh, to a close. And so next May 7th will be my last, last Sunday here. And since the letter went out, I, I most often get two questions. Why now? And what will you do? And so I want to say just a little bit about both of those uh, this morning. The answer to why now is, is simply that I, I can feel that it's, it's time to do something new. Um, this January, I'll, I'll have been here 20 years Although Clover does, she argued the other day, that the clock should start over from your installation date. <laughs> um, in which case I've only been here three years, so um, But however we measure it, it's been a good and long uh, season of my life. And my heart tells me it's just time for a new season. Which is a little scary, because the answer to the second question, "What will you do?" is honestly. I don't know. Um, you know, being a, being a pastor is, is such an identity that I think I'm just going to need to hang up the robe for a while and, and see how you civilians live um, for a few months before I can really know or even begin asking that question, what is it I want to do? I'll always be uh, a pastor, though, in, in the deepest sense of that word. Um, I don't plan to, to, to look for a, something in a church. Um, Laura and I will stay here in uh, Denver. Her dad uh, lives here, and so we're committed to, to being close to him. So we'll see. Um, it's just time. Um, and Montview is in a great place. Um, it's strong, it's, it's, it has a fantastic staff. Um, it has a fantastic congregation, it has a fantastic choir. It's in good shape, um, its future is bright. So while I'm also excited about my own future, um, I'm also sad and um, very nostalgic. I find myself thinking about, oh, this will be the last Christmas concert, you know, things like that, but also and mostly uh, just grateful. And so I just want to say today, thank you. It has been the privilege of my life. Thank you. let's preach, let's earn my money, still employed, let's see, all right, would you pray with me, loving God, uh, help us here to open our ears, open our hearts for your, your very special uh, Advent word for us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So it is that time of year again. It's hard to believe that it is already upon us, this beautiful season of, of anticipation, of prayer, of, of hoping for a savior that we call the World Cup. <laughs> okay, maybe not all of you enjoy the beautiful game as much as I do. Even my very best friend in the whole world, Chris Danny, is mystified when I describe being on the edge of my seat for a game that often ends in a zero-zero draw. But you see, soccer is, dare I say it, a lot like Advent. It's not so much about what happens as it is about the anticipation of what could happen. The power is in the waiting. It's in the hoping, it's in the possibility. And over the course of this four-week tournament held every four years, they estimate that more than five billion people will tune in, tune in at some point and watch a game. But this year, even for the most diehard of fans, um, getting excited about the World Cup has been complicated. Which is really what I want to talk about uh, this morning. This year's tournament is being held in Qatar. Uh, it's a very small, very wealthy country in the northeast corner of the Arabian Peninsula. In the summertime, it can reach 120 degrees. Why would you hold a World Cup there? Is a great question. And after Qatar, won the bid to host it back in 2010, a lot of people were asking just that question. It turns out that the answer has to do with a lot of backroom deals and outright bribery. So having won the bid, uh, Qatar then spent more than $220 billion building glorious new stadiums and hotels and apartment buildings and Expanding its roads and railways and airport, uh, all the infrastructure that goes with that. And to do that, they brought in hundreds of thousands of migrant workers from the poorest parts of Asia. Paid them absurdly low wages and forced them to work in appalling conditions. At the time, Qatar had this system of sponsorship that tied a worker to their employer, almost like an indentured servant. No regulations, no no unions. Um, These workers couldn't even leave the country without the permission of their employer. The result, not surprisingly, was that thousands of people were injured and were killed building those glorious stadiums. And if that weren't enough, Qatar also has a very has very regressive attitudes towards women's rights and the rights of the LGBTQ community. And they've been very very strict in the tournament about squashing any signs of protest from journalists, from fans. It's been Pretty awful. Qatar brought, bought, not brought, bought the World Cup to spotlight its impressive wealth. But instead, the world has seen what a truly regressive regime it is. Now, lest we forget, the United States has its own appalling record of mistreating migrant workers and a long history of denying the rights of women and the LGBT community. So, a little humility here. But this is 2022, and human rights are on the front and center of the world's conversations. So, as a soccer fan, what do I do? I love watching the World Cup but I am also acutely aware that doing so is an implicit endorsement of Qatar and its policies and what it's done. I feel caught in a World Cup of compromise. And we all are. These days, we can hardly walk out of our door without being forced, at some, to some degree, to compromise the values that we want to live by. Every time we get in a car or on a plane or transport ourselves by just about anything other than bicycle, we know that we are hurting the planet. Every time we go to the grocery, no matter how thoughtful we are about trying to minimize the packaging, we will still be adding to overflowing landfills. Every time we go on Facebook or Amazon or buy a sweatshirt from what was likely made in a sweatshop, we support companies and systems that do not align with our values. And today, I mostly just want to name that. Name the psychological burden, the, the, the moral burden, the spiritual burden of living in the world today. There are, there are so many of us. And we are so interconnected. And, and corporations and governments are so large. That the, and the damage to the planet is so extensive already. That it, almost every decision we make feels loaded. Whether it's about something we truly need. Or, or just something we want. Or something we just enjoy. Like watching a soccer game. And I just think it's important to name just how soul-weary that can make us. As thoughtful, caring, trying to be faithful people, the world can feel pretty exhausting. Just this week, I found myself, I was just staring at an empty peanut butter jar. It seemed like I should recycle it, but to rinse it would take a lot of water And I thought, well, with water being more scarce than land in the West, maybe throwing it out is the least of two evils. Plus, I'd heard that they really can't recycle all that much of plastic anyway, but I really haven't looked that up to really know if that's true or not. And so I just stared at it. I finally decided that the best thing to do, well was to leave it on the counter for Laura to deal with. (laughs) (laughs) Which is an option, isn't it? It's something we do. It is tempting to throw up our hands and and leave the metaphorical jar on the counter to say it's, it's too complicated. And I'm just one person. And I'm just trying to live my life and I have other problems and I don't want to feel guilty or ashamed or exhausted by every decision I have to make. Yeah? And I don't believe that God wants us to feel overwhelmed all the time by the complexity of the world's problems. In fact, I believe God wants and hopes for us to enjoy this world, to enjoy our lives even in the midst of the world's problems, somehow. And so, while I don't have an answer for this, I, and I'm wrestling with this, I'll offer a little bit of wisdom or perspective from that other season of waiting and anticipation this time of year that we call Advent. Advent means coming. In Advent, we trust that the day is coming, that the day is coming when, as Isaiah says, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall be level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. We trust that. In Advent, we trust that the world is in God's hands somehow. It is unfolding in God's time somehow. And in that faith, we can relax a little. Every decision need not carry all that weight. Advent, on the one hand, is about trust. And at the same time, John the Baptist quotes that passage from Isaiah in this morning's scripture reading. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight which is such an interesting image. If someone is is on a path and they're coming, what happens if you make that path straight? They get here quicker. That's our work. The Lord is coming. We need not carry this all alone, but we do have work we can do. There are things to do to make the path straight. We can quicken that advent. Advent by how we live. So repent, he says, It just means change. Do what's right. Do your part. And my point is that Advent holds this tension between a passive trustingness on the one hand and an active uh, taking action on the other, between patience and urgency. It holds them both. And as we grow spiritually, I think we can learn to live in this world with joy and and, and gratitude and even lightness, even while we face the world's challenges and do our part to prepare the way. I think it's about learning to live in that tension, not allowing the weight of the world to overwhelm us, but also not leaving the jar on the counter. I just don't think we're built to to deal with all of the complexity of the world all of the time. And so we have to learn to trust that God is working through others to solve problems when we are not, and it's okay not to wrestle with the weight of every moral dilemma we're put in every time. I don't know how else to do this other than to pick some things and work on them and really work on them and hold other things more lightly, trusting that others are working on them, accepting that I can't do everything. So, someone might choose to, to go to Qatar and really enjoy the World Cup, and while they're there, run onto the field with a sign of protest, like some people have done. It's beautiful. Others might choose to boycott the World Cup entirely, not watch any of the games. To be clear, I don't think you get points if you weren't going to watch it anyway. Someone else might choose to watch all the games that they can, but also give a sermon that names Qatar's abuses. That's a good thing. And others will just watch the cup And they will get their John the Baptist on somewhere else. And that's okay too. We can't hold it all. But we can learn to hold the tension between trusting God enough to enjoy our lives. While we are at the same time making the Lord's path a little bit straighter. Amen.